0: Are you ready to have your mind completely blown? Today, I'm speaking to Mo Gaudet, who is now my official life guru. He's also an entrepreneur, former chief business officer of Google, author, speaker, and just, yeah, someone who has changed my life. Get ready to listen. It's an hour and a half, but it's an hour and a half that will potentially change your life for the better. It's going to make you question a lot of things that you think you definitely know. It's going to potentially allow you to relax, maybe even consider life and all of its ups and downs as a game. And he speaks about that at the end to his letter to his younger self. It's a conversation that is going to stay with me for the rest of of time. Make sure you have your tissues, I was rather emotional in this one, and you'll understand why when you listen. And Mo, if you're listening, thank you for one of the most precious moments. And I will be referring back to your words, to your books, um, for the rest of time. Enjoy, everyone. Bow your
1: head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going, you won't need to bring
0: your frown I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not on the High Street for my kitchen table, and since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom, and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favorite small businesses, entrepreneurs, and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Adobe, who've helped bring this podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hello, Mo. It is wonderful to be speaking to you today. Thank you for joining Conversations of Inspiration.
2: Oh my God, it's been a while in the making uh, since we last spoke and I am completely honoured to be here. I love what you do. I think it makes a big difference and I'm honoured to be part of it.
0: Well, thank you so much. I first heard about you and your mission to help a billion people become happier and I was completely hooked. As I keep saying, I've left you voice notes basically you know waxing lyrical about how incredible you are and the more I learned the more I just couldn't believe what I was hearing and so when you said yes to this podcast honestly I was on my whatsapp telling absolutely everybody sending links to you <laughs> literally I it just I just all this energy came out so this is going to be a special one for everyone listening oh, no pressure Holly no pressure. no pressure <laughs> I mean seriously, if you even gave me a fingertip worth of what's in your brain that's good for me there's so much I want to speak to you about today, but I'd love just to start going back to the younger Mo. You were born in Egypt. Your mother was an academic and your father was an engineer and you inherited a passion for both reading and problem solving from an early age. You've said that you were an unusual child, but that you were happy. Can you tell me about that time in your life?
2: I was... um... I don't know if you want to call me a nerd. You can definitely call me a nerd. I am a very, very serious geek, but I had a long history of sort of not understanding why kids were doing what they were doing, why they were not reading or doing something useful with their life. And it's, you know, not in a a boring way, but I just loved, you you know, those kids that were, that I was a maker, I, I just loved to make things. And I had a family, my parents who were so empowering. So empowering, like I remember vividly uh, age 11, I asked them if I could buy a keyboard, a piano sort of, tried for a couple of months, failed miserably. And then a week later I said, can I have a guitar? And they immediately said, yeah, sure. You can try the guitar, no problem at all. And and they were so empowering. I tried carpentry and I tried uh, mosaics and I tried uh, music and I tried poetry and I tried so many things, so many things. And they would just always empower me. And my my mother's way was to get me books around the topic, and my father's way was to throw me in the field, whatever that field was. And so it was an incredibly empowering childhood, I would say. I wasn't um, the typical child that wanted to play football, or you know, I, I did play athletic. You know, I was in the national team of handball and so on. So I was reasonably athletic, but that wasn't what I wanted. And at the same time, for some reason, I don't remember at all. I actually still think about that today. Any moments of deep unhappiness, any moments of trauma, you know, of course, we get those strange experiences in our childhood, all of us. I was the third child. And so I think my parents were experienced enough by then. Uh, my brothers had suffered all of the mistakes. And then with me, they did a little bit better. <laughs>
0: And I'm right, and you were raised in Cairo, in in Egypt, um, yes. and and so you had this wonderful incubation. Really, I love the idea of both your mother and father coming from different sides of of a topic and tackling it together. And my chapter, one of my chapters in my book, is "Be the Nerd." Because we absolutely celebrate the nerd, you know, and I've actually got a beautiful pin badge that I'm going to send to you as well. It's a it's hand embroidered heart that says nerd, and so we we're all about the nerds <laughs> here. It. But at yeah. eleven, but you take it to another level. I've got to say that, Mo, because at eleven <laughs> you got into quantum physics. Right? This is this is a different level of nerd. And at fourteen, after being given your first PC, you taught yourself. To code, it feels like you were very, very happy, do you think that children are inherently happy because I absolutely read when researching that you believe we're set to be happy like a brand new phone out of its box. Can you talk to me about that?
2: absolutely. I mean, I was not always happy if you want at age twenty nine I started to become extremely successful. I was literally almost printing money on demand, and I was miserable I was mm as depressed as you can uh, you can be and uh, you know I struggled to find my happiness and I did a bit of research here and a bit of research there couldn't find my way until I was listening to a, a song by Supertramp uh, if you remember the band, then you're too old. So anyway, uh, so Super Tramp is, <laughs> is a British <laughs> band that had a song that was very interesting called the, the Logical Song. And it starts with when I was young, it seemed that life was so wonderful. It basically talks about how we're happy as children. And then they send me away to teach me how to be logical, responsible, practical, cynical, critical, and so on. And the song, basically, I was listening to it in a coffee shop in Seattle, Washington. I remember vividly. And I literally put my phone down or at the time it was an iPod. I put my iPod down and I said, that's it. That's the answer. I was always happy. I was born happy. Mm -hmm. And until I started to change something about me uh, when my kids were born and I decided to provide for them and I engaged in life so dedicatedly. Until that moment, I was always happy. And you, if, you, if you go back in time and you know, all, all you really need is a four-minute research on YouTube, really, to look for any infant, every infant that's ever been born, if they're fed and safe and given their basic needs for survival, their state is happy. It's our, it's our innate state. It's our default setting, as I call it. And we walk out of that state into unhappiness. It's not the other way around. The world is trying to convince us that we're unhappy until we fulfill ourselves with something or, you know, some material possession Mm -hmm. or some ego gratification or some party. That's not true at all. We are happy inside and then things make us unhappy. Like a child, when a diaper gets wet, the child feels unhappy and cries. And then when you change the diaper, the child goes back to happiness. It's as simple as that. It truly is our default state.
0: We're rewiring today. That's why I've been so excited to talk to you because these are so, so the things that we do not spend time thinking about. What is it that deviates us from that path? You know, you, you talk a lot about life's expectations, another default that we have.
2: Behaviorism is a, a branch of psychology that talks about how you can condition humans, condition children. As we are young, we get conditioned with certain beliefs that we never, ever debate. Never, mm-hmm. okay? My parents, for example, wonderful as they are, my mother always said to me, look, you can suffer for a few years until you're successful. And when you're successful, you're going to be happy, right? Uh, you can work hard, suffer for a few years. And the first part of her equation, if you want, is true. If you, if you allow yourself to suffer and work really hard for a few years, you're gonna be successful. But the second half, half isn't. You know, so many people are successful, beyond belief they are swimming in money they're famous and they're handsome and and everything and they're miserable right Mm. you know hard work leads to success success doesn't lead to happiness and if you take that concept for granted you hand your life over to a belief that basically says okay i'm going to keep working really hard until i find happiness but you know because the second half of the of the promise is not working you never actually end up finding happiness and so you continue to work really hard and you wonder and ask yourself what's going wrong and i actually did that i went to my mom i was 34 years of age and i said mom you made me believe that promise so i'm extremely successful but by that time i was horrendously successful
1: mm.
2: and i'm not happy what went wrong what broke, right? And I think those debates, when we're conditioned to believe certain things, those things deliver on their promise. They make us successful in that case, but they don't make us happy. And there are so many of those. We live in a world that keeps telling us that our ego, gratification, our material possession, luxury, uh, certain looks, certain likes are supposed to make us happy. And for some reason, when we get some of those, we get a tiny jolt of happiness. And so we we, we sort of believe, ah, they're right, they're right. When I got a hundred likes on my post, I felt happy for a few seconds, but then I didn't feel happy afterwards. That must mean if I get 200 likes, I will feel happy forever, okay? Let me aim for 200 likes and then you get 200. And you know, it ha- applies to everything. You, you graduate from school and you go like, if I get paid a hundred dollars a month, I'm gonna be happy. And then you get paid a hundred and you go like, oh no, oh, sorry, I, I miscalculated. I meant a thousand, mm. right? You get a thousand and then you start to say, oh, but I need a mortgage. So I want a thousand plus a thousand more for the mortgage, right? And it's just constantly missing the promise, but yet you continue to be conditioned. Now in Solve for Happy, in my first book, I attribute this to what I call the six grand illusions and the seven blind spots. It's those beliefs and deficiencies in our perception that make us look at life and think mistakenly that an Armani suit or a fancy car is going to make us happy. When in reality, you know for certain, okay, with so many examples in your own life and other people's lives that things don't make you happy and yet you continue to believe.
0: I've got your book here. As I said to you in your voice notes, you know, me and my dad have shared this book and we're having such a nice time talking about it. My dad's quite an introvert and, um, And we've really bonded over speaking about your book. It's been a really nice moment for us. Everything that you talk about, this is the thing. It's light bulb moments after light bulb moments. And it's ones that we have to almost pause this podcast, really now think about this. You talk about being successful. And then I want to talk about that responsibility that you have also mentioned, which I think is such a key for anyone listening. It's about taking responsibility for what we're hearing and acting on it. But going back to your own journey, you are a self-confessed geek. You've had a hugely brilliant career. You worked in IBM, Microsoft, then eventually Google X, which you co-founded over 20 um, businesses. You've lived on the cutting edge of technology. And I know that you've previously spoken of a time in your life when certainly on the surface, and you've alluded to it, you've had all the things that you assumed would make us happy. A successful career, chief business officer at Google, Financial stability, a loving family, and I read that you bought two Rolls Royces on a whim, and that this was a turning point for you.
2: Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a self confessed geek, as you say, but I also am a self confessed mess, right? So it's it's not like I I I now, as many of my friends and the people I meet will tell you. I'm very, very, very calm, very peaceful. It's almost infect, in, infectious when you're around me. It's just very, very peaceful and calm. But that's not always been the case. Uh, let's, let's be very honest. And there were times when I was a, an absolute control freak. And there, were, there was a time when I had 16 cars in my garage. Now, people, when they hear that, they think, oh, of course, he's happy. He had the money. No, I gave most of the money away. I wear $4 T-shirts and I'm the happiest I've ever been. Right? Now, the thing is this. Once again, I mean, I did, and I confess, and I actually still keep those two Rolls Royces in storage. One day I will auction them for charity and hopefully make a lot of money for charity because they've become very famous from being mentioned in *Soul for Happy in my first book. So those two Rolls Royces are a great example. I'm burning my life in work and in stress and in chasing things that I actually don't need at the time. hmm? And I question. I question and say, why am I doing all of this? Why is that promise not working? Let me put my resources to work, okay? I'm on eBay. I see two classic Rolls Royces, you know, like they're so pretty, each of them. And I decide, why would I even have to choose? Let me just buy both of them, right? Click, click, the same evening, two Rolls Royces ship over to Dubai from the US. They arrive a a couple of months later. I promise you, Holly, I was happy for seven minutes. Okay. Uh, it's as simple as that. And, and, and it's not because I'm a, an ungrateful, crazy maniac. No, it's because that's as long as a car would make you happy. You, you, you look at it first, you admire the engineering, you admire the beauty. You're amazed by how they made such beautiful technology at that time. And then you sit inside them and uh, first, you notice, oh, this chrome is not perfect and that, you know, uh, leather is torn and this is a problem. And oh, why is it so noisy and how will I maintain it in Dubai? And then eventually, if you have overcome all of this and start the car and start to drive, what do you see? You see the road, right? And when you're looking at the road, all cars are the same. That's the point that most people forget. Hmm? For many of us we think oh oh, oh there is something wrong with my choice maybe if i chose a different color or a fancier car or as i did maybe if i have two of them at the same time right and and that applies to cars it applies to relationships it applies to you know everything really food everything huh? you look you look at your partner and he or she is wonderful in many ways and then you say oh but look at that other one she's taller and look at the, that the, that third one she's shorter Okay. And you know, the, the, this one is funnier and that one is, you know, and, and it's endless and it's endless. And the idea of us trying to fulfill our happiness from with things from outside us is futile. Why? Because happiness is not outside us. You were born happy. Remember that we just said that huh? yes. it's inside you. What you need to do instead of trying to complement your life with things that are promising you happiness, you need to go the other way. You need to remove the things, peel, of the things that are making you unhappy. And when you remove enough unhappiness, okay, what's left behind is happy. What's left behind is the real you and the real you doesn't need the car. I mean, there was never a child that was one years old, one year old that lay on its back and and you know basically said, give me the controller of an Xbox to make me happy. You know, no no child ever wanted likes on Instagram, right? You fed them, made them safe. They giggled and played with their toes and they were happy
0: you believed that finding happiness is a skill that we need to be taught. Absolutely. And you started to look at it, and I love this, and it's the one bit that I'm still trying to figure out, so I'm so looking forward to talking about this. You started to look at it from the perspective of an engineer and developed an algorithm for happiness. Can you slowly take us through that? Because if anyone's gonna take anything away today, Maybe this is what they can concentrate on.
2: Yeah. So complex systems in engineering in general appear to be very erratic, right? If you have several waves overlapping each other, you'll see a pattern that doesn't look like a regular wave, right? Because one of, you know, it goes up and then up more and then down, 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 and then up and up more, and right? You can't really understand what's happening. Happiness is the same people think that it is very, very complex and it's very erratic because there are so many parameters at play. That is what, you know, the technology, when you and I were starting this conversation didn't work for us. And then there was a car passing by and making a noise and there are millions of little, you know, parameters that get into your psyche and cause you to be happy or unhappy in that case. But it is actually at the core level, a very predictable system that resulting, um, you know, pattern of happiness and unhappiness can actually be described with mathematics. And being a geek at a point in time, I started to tell myself, okay, I understand that babies are born happy. It's our default state. I understand that happiness is the absence of unhappiness, that we need to remove unhappiness to find happiness. So instead of me trying to list down every uh, moment in my life that I felt unhappy and basically try to work on them one by one. I did what we used to do when we coded software. Okay, I said, is there an algorithm that you can input into a computer and then run that algorithm and it will find for you every moment that you felt unhappy based on input that made you unhappy? The idea was there must be an algorithm. There must be something that's repetitive. It cannot be that random because most of us humans seem to feel unhappy the same way. So it's probably triggered by the same things. And yeah. I looked at all of the moments in my life where I felt happy at the time or at many of the moments, and I tried to find the common theme between them and the common theme is actually very easy when you understand it. It's not about what's happening in your life at that moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. It is about how you want life to be in comparison to what is happening. So if I and you are recording this conversation, And I expect that this conversation will take no less than an hour. And you expect this conversation to take no more than an hour. Okay. Uh, One of us is bound to be disappointed. One of us is going to come out of this conversation feeling disappointed. It doesn't really matter how long the conversation was. Okay. But if your expectation is uh, less than an hour and my expectation is more than an hour and it lasts for an hour and 10 minutes, I'm happy you're unhappy. Yeah, okay. And and it's as simple as that. The length of the conversation has nothing to do. There is no inherent happiness in an hour 10 minutes. It's a comparison between the the actual reality of your life or at least your perception of your of the reality of your life and how life should be. Okay? Now, in our brains, again like a geek, it's estimated that we can do up to 60,000 transactions a day. So you can actually look at the world around you almost like the clock of a computer, you know, the megahertz, you can look around you and make a quick calculation up to 60,000 times a day. Now in each of those calculations, in many of them, your brain being a survival machine has only one objective, which is to compare the life that you're living to how it perceives life to be safe. Right. Okay. And if if life falls short of what your brain perceives to be safe, it alerts you in the form of an emotion, and that emotion could be shame, could be regret, could be fear, could be worry, anxiety, whatever it is, a negative emotion that corresponds to unhappiness. Now, if it looks around it and finds that life seems to be okay, it does what it's biologically supposed to do, which is to allow your body to rest, digest, and maybe sleep. By telling you, hey, I scanned the world around me and there is nothing wrong. You can close your eyes. It's fine. Okay. Now, that behavior, life misses expectations. I'm going to alert you. Mm -hmm. Life meets expectations. I'm going to leave you alone so that you can rest and relax can be summarized in a very simple equation. And the equation is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. Okay. Every event that happens, you compare. If it falls short, you're unhappy. If it meets or beats, you you're, you feel happy. And it's as simple as that. Bulletproof. Every single time. Huh? We're happy in nature. Yes. Not because nature is perfect, but because we expect nature to be imperfect. We expect there to be flies. We expect there to be ants. And so that if there are ants, we're still okay. I feel happy when my daughter smiles. Not true, I feel happy when my daughter smiles sometimes, but if she had just failed an exam and she's still smiling, it would make me unhappy, okay? And it's as simple as that, it applies every single time. And all of the the teachings that we get from spirituality and from yoga and from meditation and from practice and from psychology and so on and so forth, that you know all of the things that you see on the cover of the Cosmopolitan magazine, the 10 things you can do to be happy, they basically apply within that equation. Okay, you can do those things. And if that's uh, those things are exactly how you want life to be, or if they make you accept life as it is, you're going to feel happy.
0: I wasn't able to totally grasp it. And I I have now. You're essentially saying happiness is a choice. And I know that maybe some someone listening is thinking, you know, the eyebrows is being raised, you know, as we're saying this. (laughs) What do you say to those where actually life is pretty tough, you know, and maybe I've not chosen to be unhappy. I am unhappy because of what is happening to me. What are you talking about?
2: Yeah. So when I when I wrote Soul for Happy the first time, I wrote it like we write software, weird as that sounds. So I wrote a beta version and gave it to 270 people to read it and edit it. They actually could change the, the words that I wrote. And before we did that, uh, we gave them a small survey Mm -hmm. to to just understand their profile, gender and, you know, age and state of happiness. On page 11 of the book, 8% of the readers dropped out. I could measure it. I'm, uh, you know, that was the idea. Mm -hmm. Those 8%, we went back to the original survey, all 8%, every single one of them, was already depressed. They proclaimed that they've been unhappy for a, for a prolonged period of time. Okay. And when you tell them happiness is a choice, they go like, what are you talking about? Mm. Are you saying that I'm feeling this horrible feeling because I'm choosing to feel this horrible feeling? No, you're wrong. Okay. I'm uh, you know feeling this way because life is unfair to me. Okay. Life did this to me and I'm only responding the only way I know, which is to feel unhappy because Almost like a six-year-old, if I feel unhappy, life will come and tap me on the back and say, I'm so sorry, baby, don't be unhappy. You know, we're going to fix things. You don't have to do anything, right? Now, the truth is 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 very simple. If you look at the happiness equation, it's events minus expectations. You can tell yourself if unhappiness is the result of events only, you can tell yourself unhappiness is imposed on me. Right. But if it's events minus expectations, number one, you have control over your expectations. You can set realistic, not dreamy expectations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, you have control over the events. You can change the events sometimes, most of the time, as a matter of fact. And you also have control over your perception of the event. Okay. Because most of the time, the way you look at the events is not actually the way the events happen. Your partner can say something harsh on, on Friday, In your mind, the event is he or she doesn't love me anymore. That's actually not true. Okay. The truth is your partner said something harsh. That's the truth. Okay. Now now your perception of it misses your expectations, but saying something harsh for any other reason, maybe you uh, hurt him or her, or maybe he or she had a, a tough day at work, that doesn't miss your expectations if you took the event for what it is. Okay. So if you look at it this way, you start to tell yourself, okay, by the way, I can change events by impacting on life. I can change my perception of events by actually digging deeper and I can change my expectations by actually being realistic. And if you do this 99% of the time, life will meet your expectations. You know what? Life has always behaved the same way life has always behaved. It doesn't come to one of us and does something and and the other does something else. When there is a traffic jam, Hmm. there is a traffic jam for all of us, right? Yet one of us is very upset and the other is listening to music and talking to loved ones on the phone, right? And the the difference between them hmm, is not that there is a traffic jam. The difference between them is that one of them thinks that the traffic jam is the end of the world. Hmm? That it, that the world has decided to send a traffic jam, uh, you know, decided to make car manufacturers make more cars, put them all in the same street at the same time when they were driving through so that, that, that there is a traffic jam for them, while the other person says, look, I chose to live in London. It's a busy city. There is always going to be a flat traffic jam. I might as well get, get some good music with me and leave my home 30 minutes earlier. Okay. The event is exactly the same.
0: It's how we choose to perceive it and behave. And just tell me, because I, I laugh at that moment. We're talking about the traffic jams, you know. My husband won't mind me saying this, but exactly that moment, and you know, men in traffic jams, you know, that I I, I I can hear the women all listening to what I'm saying here is he literally will believe that the way people are driving is specifically aimed at him. Yeah. And so when he beeps that horn, he is teaching that person a personal lesson. And as I sit next to him and I say, my darling, did you think that person got up today and decided I am going to, with this one guy, he's sitting in the car, I'm going to behave this way to annoy you? Did you think that this was... <laughs> Can you imagine that? But honestly, Can he can't, they're all, he can't they're answer all it.
2: Employed, they're all employed by that agency that is supposed uh-huh. to annoy your husband, right? Absolutely. And this guy actually that was annoying him was so worried in the morning because he was two minutes late and he missed, he might have missed might that one missed moment that one when he moment. would have cut him off. Do you know
0: what I mean? This is yeah. it. And so what happens in our dynamic, and I'm sure lots of people have this, is I say, Guess what? That wasn't a personal attack on you. We were just having a gorgeous conversation. You just interrupted it because potentially, and we've spoken about this, his default, if he listens to this, but sorry about this, darling. He listens to it as a he's the victim. Yeah. You know, that this is the thing. Life happens to him personally, you know? I know people where, and maybe I even was this many years ago, it was comfortable to be the victim. Why is that? And is it linked to, because I really want to hear your thoughts about personal responsibility. Are those two things linked?
2: You know, one of my biggest teachers, believe it or not, is video games, right? In video games, we have something that's called the first person perspective and something that's called the third person perspective. So, you know, those video games when you feel like you're the one holding the gun and the whole field is in front of you, hmm? the only thing you can see is the field surrounding you, right? If you have a third person perspective, those games where you're one character and then there are seven characters around you and you have to navigate and do on. In those games, you realize, hey, I'm not the only player, right? I'm actually surrounded. There are so many other things happening in the game other than me. The way the human physiology is designed is a first person perspective, okay? We think that the world is revolving around us. We think that, you know, you are here, holy, because you're supposed to interview me. Mm -hmm. When in reality, when you think about you, you'll go like, no, Mo is here because he's gonna be my guest, Mm. right? So everyone has that first person perspective. It's as if, you know, everyone looks at themselves and thinks they're the star of the movie. Okay? and that everyone else is a supporting actor. It's quite interesting. Huh? And when you extend this into the tough times, you also have that first-person perspective. It's all about me. Okay? The sun rose today, but then global warming happened and pushed the cloud you know, a certain direction because the divine or the universe wanted it to rain on me. Okay? And how stupid is that? You know, if you ask me, especially for that person next to you, just like literally one meter from you, who it is also raining on, okay? This is not a non-player character. This is an actual human who's also thinking it's raining because of me. What are you doing in my set? Okay? (laughs) It's so funny when you think about it this way. Now, that personalization, the the idea of I'm the victim gives us a bit of a sense of, and what can I do about it? If the world is so much against me, You know, I'm not supposed to be doing anything about it. And you asked me, why do we feel like the victim? And I say that with a ton of respect. And I, I say it because I think it opens people's eyes when I see it. When we were six-year-old or four-year-old, hmm, when we cried enough, an adult came and said, don't cry, baby, it's going to be okay. Right? Somehow we never grew out of this. Yes. So many of us, when life becomes tough, we cry. Yeah, we can cry because we can feel the emotion. But when you cry because you expect that some kind of an adult called life or God or something is gonna show up and say, hey, hey baby, don't cry. You're the victim, I'm so sorry, don't cry. I'm gonna fix it for you. That's not very smart. The reality is, even if you believe in God, and I I am a person that believes there is a divine, it's unfair if the divine interacts with the game this way. As a game designer, you design the game rules and then every player plays. Right. It would be very unfair if I cried and and got assistance and the other person tried really hard and didn't get assistance. It's not the way the game is played. Right. The game has rules of physics and rules of economics and rules of other things. And if we actually play by the rules and master them, we will advance in the game. It's as simple as that. Now, when you think about it this way, you start to realize that being a victim is part of our ego. Okay. It's part of how ego here is not arrogance. Ego is an identification a persona. Okay. Yes. One of us can have a persona of, I am a, um, you know, an Instagram celebrity and look at me, I'm, I'm cute. That's a persona. Okay. Or I am the hero that fights against a very difficult life where in which I'm always the victim, but I prevail or at least I survive. That's also a form of a persona, a form of an ego. Okay. Every ego has the psychological side to it, but it also has a utility. Hmm? If you go to LinkedIn, everyone is a VP on LinkedIn. Okay. It's the form of ego. Hmm? (laughs) And yeah, there is a utility to be called a VP because that means you might get more senior jobs. There is a utility to it, but to believe in it, that's when you start to lose your way in life. Okay. To believe in it, by the way, is worse when you believe in it when you're not the VP. Okay, and it's also, wor- it's also horrible when you believe in it when you're the VP, because suddenly you reduce that magnificence that you are to a title, to a category, okay? And I know it's one of the topics that is very, very, very uh, sensitive nowadays. One of the challenges I see with all of the movement of gender, gender diversity, for example, which I am very much pro, okay, is that we're moving from a wrong to a wider wrong. We're moving from the stupidity of having identified ourselves as man and woman to now trying to identify ourselves as more still categories. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to be identified as a category. I want to be identified as more Okay. When people used to ask me, you know, my diet is very weird. I haven't eaten fish for two years now, but I started to go back to eat eggs and I don't eat meat. Okay. When I used to eat fish, people would say you're pescatarian, but I would say, no, I'm not. I don't eat milk. I don't drink milk and I don't eat eggs. And then, oh, then you're a vegetarian, but I eat fish. And so they say, what are you? And I say, I'm a motarian. I eat what Mo likes to eat. Okay. Why do I have to fit within a category? Hmm? And I think we humans, that idea of ego trying to fit into an image and a persona, okay, even an image and a persona of a specific gender category, okay, that's working against all of us. Why don't we just be us? Hmm? And if you're you, you never personalize anymore. You know, you, you start to say, look, yeah, life might have, you know, a traffic jam thrown my way, but it's thrown across the way of all of those others. For me, a traffic jam is not a big issue because I don't have a nine to five job. For the others, it might be. And that's okay. I understand all of that complexity of life and I'm okay with it. Once you're okay with it. Once you're not trying to prove to the world anymore that you're something in specific, like I'm the victim or I'm the hero, I'm, I'm the cutie, yeah. okay, the world no longer can attack you and say, oh, no, 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 you're wrong, you're not that persona, and then you get upset about it.
0: Is an honor to be able to bring you these life-changing conversations and it's all made possible thanks to our wonderful partners as you know i only ever work with a very small number of brands who are truly aligned in their vision and belief of this small business community so i'm excited to share that adobe will be joining us in this series Passionate believers in the power that creativity plays in the lives of us all. They're empowering founders with the tools that they need to connect with their audiences through their new application, Adobe Express. I know after speaking with so many small businesses that one of the most common issues founders face is how to bring their brand to life digitally across so many different channels. Adobe Express helps you quickly and creatively share your company with even more customers, whether that's through social assets, creative posters in your physical space, or even branded invoices, all at your fingertips. And as I know, you're not just the head of brand in your business, but also head of finance, HR, operations and sales. So trust me, this will free up some of your much needed time too. But don't just take my word for it. Throughout the rest of the series, I'll be handing this break over to small businesses to hear firsthand how Adobe Express is helping them every single day to work better and faster, all whilst being creatively fulfilled. In the meantime, if you'd like to find out how Adobe Express can help you share your own business story, head to adobe.com go slash tucker. Now, let's get back to our conversation with the incredible mind that is Mo Gordet. As I've got older, I think about who I was when I was 20 and who I am about to be 45. And this idea of accepting Holly for Holly and Mo for Mo and actually being very comfortable. Do you have any other choice? No, I know, but we get, we work against it. Do you know what I mean? we yeah, it's always on a constant level. You know, you can't. You know, there's always something to change. There's always something to do better. There's there's, there's this constant whirl, isn't there? That, of, that might be true. By the way,
2: there is always something to do better.
0: Yes, but that yes. doesn't mean you're bad. Yeah. Yes. Okay.
2: Right. So I, I you know, I, I it actually, I, and again, I, you know, I'm I'm a self proclaimed mess, as I said. In my earlier years, because I was so driven, so driven. Okay. I would look at myself and say, you're not doing well enough. Your uh, colleague got promoted a a month earlier, or, you know, they uh, bought a BMW before you did buy a BMW and so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, it's It's a stupid way that the modern world has taught us to compare negatively so that we have the fire and motivation to move forward. That's not necessarily needed at all. Mm. Okay. The truth of the matter is I can be a good person, and still have a long way to go. Yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying this in front of all of your tens of thousands of listeners. I'm a good man. I am. Okay. I make mistakes like every man. I, you know, I have a lot to learn like every man. I can be a better man, but I'm a good man. And I like that. You know, I have no bad intentions in me. I have no evil in me. I have stupidity sometimes that's not within my control. I do stupid things. I have things that I don't know. So I, you know, I'm inexperienced sometimes it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Yeah. And there isn't a human that isn't like that. The way they taught us in school and as young children is because our parents are the, the result of the story of World War II. Okay. And the great depression there, you know, our grandparents or great grandparents suffered so much that the priority of life for them was an insurance policy. I want life to be safe. Okay. And for life to be safe. certain, Yeah. Certain. That definition of safe and certain is actually very, very weird because it's never enough. Yeah. So you could have money in the bank, but you go like, but what if the economy collapses? I need more money in the bank. And then there is actually a statistic. Uh, I think Stephen Bartlett was writing about it in his amazing book, amazing, sexy, happy, happy, sexy millionaire that, you know, it doesn't matter how much your income is. Okay. Millionaires will always say, if I have 40% more, I'll be happy. Billionaires, will also say, if I have 40% more, I I will feel happy. It's really weird, right? Because at any point in time, you're looking at it and you're saying, "Mm, not enough. I'm not, I haven't done well enough. I need a little more, okay? And with that, it's an endless loop of unhappiness.
0: I wanted to speak with you about your beloved son, Ali. Um, You had been working on your happiness equation together and you then experienced the ultimate test when Ali tragically died during a routine operation. Firstly, <clears throat> keeping it together, I am so very sorry for your loss. Um, I can't imagine the pain. I have a 17-year-old boy and um, I just cannot even fathom it. Did you experience doubt that your soul for happiness would stand up? Because this must be one of the most painful and traumatic experiences a human can go through. And do you think that your experience of grief and loss would have been different without it?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So grief is very predictable. Like most of our emotions, it's quite interesting when you really think about it. I was writing something I call the equations of emotions in, in my future book. And um, all, all emotions seem to be predictable. Grief is very predictable. The five stages of grief that work is fantastic. It's really spot on. And, you know, I, I hope no one ever experiences this. You know, losing a child is, uh, is probably the most painful thing you will ever uh, feel. And, you know, I, don't, I'm, I may not have had the other experiences, but I, it's hard to imagine anything more painful, to be honest. Uh, and, yeah, the five stages of grief, believe it or not, I lived them as well. But I lived them in a very short track of time. So, you know, it's, it starts with denial and then it goes into bargaining, I think, and then from bargaining to anger and then from anger to depression and then depression to acceptance. When Ali left our world, I was chief business officer of Google X. I was based in Dubai after seven years of being the vice president of emerging markets for Google, very prominent tech position. And so I was in connection in touch with so many senior people in Dubai. Ali came to visit and uh, he um, basically had a routine appendix, uh, uh, you know, appendectomy, I think they call it. And it went wrong on so many levels. Uh, They corrected the mistakes wrong. And so Ali left us and it was all over Dubai. So within hours, everyone knew. And by everyone, I mean everyone, I mean like anyone you know, six degrees of separation in a small city is not, uh, it's not a long time. So the government of Dubai basically calls a very senior official and says, we're gonna get to the bottom of this. Would you mind uh, if we performed an autopsy on Ali's body? And so Nibel, my ex, my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful wife for so many years, basically uh, was sitting next to me tearing up really, and I said, they said this and this, would you mind if they perform an autopsy on Ali's body? And she raised her head very quietly and said, would it bring Ali back? Would it bring Ali back? I think, if you ask me, is the holy grail of happiness when you really think about it. huh? Because would it bring Ali back and you in acceptance? Hmm? So, so life is bound to throw you a few horrible experiences. I'm sorry to, to, you know, so to predict that for people, but there will be challenges. There will be challenges. Life is not, uh, is not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, you wouldn't learn anything at all. Mm. Okay. And so I hope your challenges will be, will be lightweight, hmm? but, There will be challenges. There will be one time when you will be a little bit sick and another time when someone that you love will treat you bad or will leave your life. And, you know, every one of those varieties of difficulties, we all have to go through most of them. And the challenge is that sometimes life throws you challenges that you cannot change. So if your partner is arguing something and a little nervous, you can work on it. Okay, you can you can sort of contain him or her and you can say, so tell me a little more and then you can use that information to build a story. And you can do something about losing a child or, you know, losing your job or the government locking you down or this or that or the other. There are things you cannot change. You can sit inside your bedroom and complain about the prime minister and you know talk to everyone about your dreams of what should be the right way for us to handle COVID-19 and it doesn't matter you're still going to be locked up okay it's as simple as that and so that acceptance that ability to find acceptance when you are not able to change the reality in an interesting way is the ultimate efficiency of going through life in terms of not wasting any of your emotional cycles on something you cannot impact, right? Uh, Instead you start to dedicate your emotional cycles on things you can use to make life better. So Ali leaves, he's not coming back. And I can promise you for four days after he left, my brain would say one thing and one thing only, which was you should have driven him to another hospital. You should have driven him to another hospital. It's, you know, my brain playing the role of a father is simply saying you did not fulfill your role and protect your son, okay? Until I treat my brain as a a third party. So I, I basically said, okay, brain, I heard you the first time, not the 799th time only, I heard you the first time. I wish I could go back and drive him to another hospital. I can't. There is nothing I can do to go back and drive him to another hospital until you've found a way to, you know, the miracle of physics and, you know, a time machine of some sort, right? And so, what can I do now? What can I do now, knowing that I cannot go back in time and drive him to another hospital? Is there something I can do to make my life and the life of others better, despite the fact that, as Nibel said, my ex, I cannot bring him back, right? And when you see life that way, suddenly a lot of things change. Okay. Suddenly, uh, once again, sadly, it's because of how we are lied to hmm? a big part of our movie culture and our Harvard business review culture and our, um, you know, sports culture is about don't give up. Yeah. Don't give up if you can actually make a difference. Hmm? Yeah. But if you, if there is nothing you can do, hmm, give up right now, like, accept right now. Don't be stupid. Don't give up if your effort can actually make a change, right? I gave up, Ali died. I cannot bring him back. I give up on bringing him back, but I can actually do other things. And instead of being stubbornly stuck in, I'm not going to lose this battle. I lost that battle. I got into, okay, what can I do to keep his memory alive? Mm -hmm. What can I do to keep his teachings alive? What can I do to keep his love alive? Okay. What can I do to remind myself of what he taught me so that I can survive the ultimate test of unhappiness? Okay. So I sat down and wrote and I was writing and I'll tell you very openly, I wasn't writing for you. Mm. Okay. I was writing for two reasons. One reason was, was, was for me. I was writing for me to remember what my teacher taught me. Okay. And two, I was writing in hopes hmm, that Ali's, Uh, a memory will survive. I wanted to spread his message to 10 million people at the time, okay? And in my mathematical strange mind, if if I could get 10 million people to know about what he taught me, then through six degrees of separation, one day in the future, he's gonna be everywhere. Okay? And that's it. That's truly, I call that the Jedi Master level of happiness, which is, yeah, you are in a situation that actually warrants your unhappiness, but you can accept it and committed acceptance, I call it. just have to take a moment. Sorry. It's okay, you know.
0: It's just so, yeah, you know, it's so beautiful. I empathize because I have a son and, you know, I look at his gloriousness and the strength that you have shown and It's just a beautiful way. Um, As you said, it's the ultimate, you know, that, that strength, that thought process is just, it's a very, very beautiful thing. And you, you speak about Ali as your happiness idol. And as you said, your mission was to become basically to share his message. Um, And you wrote your book, Soul for Happy. And your message is that we can cultivate happiness by being grateful. And I think it's a book that everyone has to read. And um, you know, it's just, yeah, as you said, Ali's just gonna be in the atmosphere always with your energy around this. And it's what a tribute, what a tribute to your wonderful son. Is curiosity something that brings us happiness? I'm thinking about this community that we're speaking to. I talk about doing what you love. Is it maybe a similar message? that pursuing things that bring you joy, as you said, using the energy that we do have in accepting what we cannot change, maybe accepting the, the fights that we cannot win, but we could maybe do things that make us happier, bring us joy, make us smile. 100%. Is that something that you believe in?
2: hundred percent. I'll tell you openly, any mathematician will tell you that 99% of life is joy. Right. We just don't see it. I mean, think about it. hmm? You know why? You know why COVID was so shocking and scary for everyone? Because it's the first pandemic we ever see. Yeah. You know why the first tsunami of Southeast Asia shocked everyone to their core? Because it's the first tsunami we've ever seen, right? In a lifetime, hmm? we've been so blessed. Yes. In our lifetime, you know, you catch the flu once or twice in winter, but your majority of your life, you're healthy the majority of your life, for most of us, you're on solid ground. You don't get natural disasters. This is why they make news, right? For most of us we're, you know, fortunate enough to eat today. And when you start to see the truth, life is full of joy. And even when we were locked down, I was, my first lockdown, I was in London. And I kept thinking about that homeless person in New York, So I was actually in London near Victoria Station. And, you know, there were lots of homeless people there. When you're homeless in COVID, this is shocking because nobody's giving them anything. The shops are closed, so they cannot even walk in and ask for anything. They're they're sick. Many of them were, and they were left on the sidewalks. And when you compare yourself to them, suddenly things fall in perspective. Like my life is amazing whatever it is, even if I'm locked down. And I kept wondering if we were complaining that we can click twice on our phones and get a warm meal delivered to us within 17 minutes and we can complain about it because eh, we're not in the pub, how can you do that when you're comparing to others that don't have that life? And I always tell people, anytime you feel unhappy, imagine yourself sitting next to a homeless person in New York in January and telling them about what's making you unhappy. Okay, if you can summon the courage to say it, then it's a genuine issue. Okay, if it isn't, then suck it up and really deal with it. Okay, and that's the truth. The truth is life is full of joy. It's the idea of can I actually enjoy that food that was delivered to me? Yes. Can I actually enjoy the people that love me? Can I enjoy the fact that I met you? Can I enjoy that we're having this conversation? You know, when, before we started, we had technology issues and I texted your team and I said, I have another laptop. Can I enjoy that? I have another laptop. Yes. Okay. Can I enjoy that? You know, some people will listen to this and say, ah, nice guy, right? Weird accent, whatever. Okay. It's okay. It's like life is totally okay. The problem with humanity. And again, that's not a a defect. It's a, it's part of the design is something we call the negativity bias. Okay. The negativity bias is that we're looking for what's wrong. Yes. Six to seven of every 10 thoughts in your brain are negative. We're looking for what's wrong. Now your question was, can curiosity make us happy? Yes. So much. As a matter of fact, curiosity, in my view, could probably be one of the biggest reasons for happiness. If you're curious enough to find the truth. Okay. Because the truth is your life is amazing. That's the truth. Yes. Even though your boyfriend's annoying. Yes. Boyfriends are supposed to be annoying. It meets expectations. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even though your girlfriend is unpredictable. Mm -hmm. Yes. Women are emotional. That's what makes them amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Mm -hmm. Yes, that meets your expectations. Even though your job is difficult, why else would they pay you if it wasn't difficult, right? Even though your boss is bossy, yeah, it's, it's found in the name, it's, he's a boss, right? Seriously, can we start to be curious to find the truth? Because happiness is found in the truth. Can we start to be curious to explore, like I did, the reality of how we feel when we're in a car? cars don't really make us happy. The advertising behind them make us happy. Okay. Can we be curious to explore what we feel, not what we're supposed to feel by because of what we're told, how we should feel. Okay. Can we explore our own story instead of binge watching Netflix? You have a story that's even more amazing than any of the things that you're watching. Okay. Can you, can you be curious enough to find out if the influencers that you're following on Instagram are actually influencers at all, okay? And when you start to look for the truth and you find the truth, the truth is, you know, as as they uh, as it said, huh? the truth will set you free. First, it will piss you off, but it will set you free. Okay, it will set you free to the point where you realize that most of your unhappiness are illusions in your brain. And that if you had any gratitude whatsoever, you're one of the luckiest people alive. If you have a device in your hand that can connect to the internet and you have an hour of free time where no tiger is trying to eat you so that you can listen to this conversation, that's it. Yeah.
0: Tell me, Mo, what do you do when what do you do when you want to give that gift to someone, someone who's not, I'm sure so many people are listening. Either they're going to go on their own personal journey here, and they are taking this in, or they might know someone who find you know gratitude isn't how they live. They, do, but you you desperately want them to compare themselves to sitting on the New York street with that homeless person, right? This is this is just a a fact. How do you take someone along the journey? How can it become part of someone's life? Sometimes I've spoken to people and they said, but you know, Holly, I'm not built like that. I do not get out of bed in the morning and feel so grateful for another day. Because as you say, it's not certain. (laughs) Time is not certain. We all think it's certain. I'm just different to you. And I just want to shout and scream and say, but you're missing the point of it all.
2: Why? Why, Holly? Why don't you let them live their own journey?
0: Because I want to help them be happy.
2: Yeah, that's not our choice. Okay. So look, I am giving myself a mission of a billion happy people. Yeah. Okay. And the first question I always get around, why only one billion, not seven billion? Oh always. God. That's the first question. Okay. The fir- I'm like, that's an amazing question. First of all, one billion will make seven happy right? Two of the 7 billion, there must be a billion or two that just don't want to be happy. Okay. They've been conditioned in a way that doesn't allow them to be happy. Now, here's the interesting thing. You will never teach anyone anything you don't know. Okay. You will never save someone drowning until you're the best swimmer out there. Right. Okay. So when people ask me, what should I do to make others around me happy? Learn to be the happiest person that you can be. Okay. And happiness is about events minus expectations. It's about accepting, being okay with life as it is, including being okay with my friend being grumpy. I'm okay with that. Okay. okay? It's my friend that, that's grumpy. It's not me. I look at them and I smile. And I go like, oh my God, you're so cute. You're so grumpy. Good. Is it is it working?
0: And that's so my default, my inner voice, which by the way, as we know... It's not the truth. Yeah. I could be asking it for something <laughs> else to say right now. Is saying but isn't that selfish?
2: Is it selfish? Isn't that? It's not at all, Holly.
0: Isn't it selfish that I would say I uh, guess what? You know what? I'm going to look at you and the fact that you don't live in gratitude, but I'm just going to keep doing it and doing it more and more. You can do it whether you like it or not. If you love that person or you care about them, surely isn't it selfish isn't it the quest that I should have to try and help that person? is it
2: selfish to try to be healthy so that you don't infect anyone with uh, germs?
0: Yeah, no. No, it's no, not.
2: Right? Is it selfish to try and be healthy uh, because healthy is enables you to help others? No. Good. So the challenge we have is that we were told that being happy is not our natural state. When in reality, being happy as in calm and contented and peaceful, I'm not saying happy as in in a pub writing or you know drinking and jumping up and down. Yes. okay. i'm I'm saying happy meaning being okay with life as it is, events, equal expectations, right? That state is your optimum state for survival. It's your optimum state for performance, and it's your optimum state for impact. Just like being healthy is your optimum state for survival and contribution to the world. This is why when you start to get a sore throat, you do something about it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Being happy makes you focused, makes you creative, makes you fun so that people flock to you, makes you impact on people because they want to be like you. Okay. It's a good state to be in. As a matter of fact, it's not even not selfish. So is it selfish to want to be happy? No, it's your duty to be happy. Okay. okay, it's your obligation in life to be happy because when you're happy, you can make others happy. When you're happy, you can be more productive. Stanford did a study, 37% more productive. Happy people are 37% more productive. Why? Because they're not wasting cycles complaining. They're not wasting, you know, they're, they're sleeping in reasonable times at night. They're not exhausted and so on and so forth. Right. Okay, now, when you realize this, you realize that it's your duty to be that way. Now, for most of us, we also think of it as it, uh, as our duty to make our loved ones safe and successful, okay? Parents will think that it's their duty to make their children, you know, the best they can be. No, it's our duty to be there for them when they need us. That's our duty, okay? Our duty is to say, hey, we would love for you to be happy and we'd love to help. If we can help, absolutely. I'll I'll help. But notice if you're not a very good swimmer, a drowning person is going to drown you with them. (laughs) Okay. It's very, very important to understand. So your number one priority, if you want to make someone else happy is to be the Olympic champion of happiness. Okay. And then go to them and hug them and say, I love you. When I'm with my grumpy friends, by the way, when people are very grumpy, I give them several chances and they continue to be grumpy to the point that is de, de, degrading to my ability to find my own peace and happiness. I would avoid them. Openly, I would tell them, you're so grumpy, I just can't spend more time with you.
0: And that's okay?
2: Yeah, they can They can say, you're stupid that you're not spending time with me. And I'll say, yeah, I am, but it's who I am. Okay, just like I don't want to spend time with someone who has the flu until they recover. Hmm? You know, it's quite interesting. I know I'm alienating some of our listeners now, but I'm, I apologize for saying this. It is a choice. It's a hundred percent a choice. Okay, you can go to work in the morning and feeling grumpy, and then your boss will say, "Where is the report I asked for yesterday?" And you're going to tell your brain, "Okay, brain, no more grumpy. We're going to be grumpy at 6 p.m. when I finish work. For now, let's go look for the for the for the report that the boss asked for." And what does your brain do? It stops being grumpy and it focuses on the report. Yeah. Okay, and by the way, when your brain stops being grumpy and focuses on the report, the report gets done. That's a good thing for life. And by the way, life doesn't collapse. We think that it's good for us to be concerned about everything because we're the superheroes that are gonna save everyone. No, you're not. The truth is, okay, uh, you yeah. And, And you're not gonna save the ones that are unhappy. Now, here's what I do, just to talk about the positive side of this. What you owe people is not their happiness. What you owe people is your love. Okay. And what I found most effective in trying to make someone else happy is to actually constantly love them, even if they're grumpy. Okay. And to make it clear that you love them, even if they're grumpy, to make it clear that it's your wish for them to enjoy that joyful, glorious feeling that you can feel, which is called happiness. Okay. But not that you're judging them for being unhappy. Mm -hmm. It's their choice. Okay. When you do that enough, people go like, what's wrong with this Holly thing? You know, why is she so, you know, bright all the time? Why is she so fun? You know, and why should, why does she love me? Like, I don't want her to love me. You know, if she loves me, then I must be happy, uh, just to repay, repay her. I don't want that. I enjoy very much being grumpy as I am. And then you keep loving them and they go like, okay, okay. Holly, would you want to tell me why do you love me? And you go, the typical thing, you know, you're grumpy like hell on the outside. It annoys the F out of me, but something inside you is pure and wonderful. And so I'm hoping that one day you'll be happy too. And then eventually after a while, they'll go like, but I can't be happy. It's not within my ability. And you'll say, no, it's your choice. I, you know, I go through tough times too. Do you want me to show you? You want me to tell you a little bit about what I learned? And then eventually people start to go like, some people start to go like, yeah, I wish I could. I've just been saying that I want to be grumpy and that this is how I'm made up because I've been failing at finding happiness. So I'm justifying to my ego, okay? That it's okay to feel grumpy because I'm failing. Now, if anybody tells me I cannot carry a hundred kilograms, then I'll say, no, you can, you just cannot yet if you work out and exercise and eat healthy and so on, every single one of us is capable of carrying a hundred kilograms at a point in time. Mm. The way to do that with your body is to exercise and eat healthy and make it your priority to actually become stronger with happiness. It's neuroplasticity. It's to exercise that topic that's called happiness and to stop using the muscle that's called grumpy.
0: Oh, if I could kiss that head of yours right now, I would, <laughs> it's very slippery, you know, <laughs> is it? I really would. I, I hope I all- didn't
2: upset anyone. I, I really hope. No, I you, you know what? I, I'm, I'm,
0: I just, for me, that was mind blowing because I think, you know, a lot of us can strive to try and change people, to try and help people. And I think, you know, instantly my default was this selfishness. And what you've explained there is very, very clear, also very clear that we should, after attempts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, if things are bringing you down, drains, not radiators, it's okay to say, I cannot be part of that. That is not good for me. If you love someone that's grumpy, it's about just continuously loving them. Um, And maybe one day you'll rub off on them, annoy the hell out (laughs) of them so much that they have to accept it, you know? And, (laughs) And I just absolutely love that. I know that we are... Pushing time here, but I wanted before we came to the end, I I did want to touch on something that I'm finding so fascinating and is in your next book as well. Can you share with me, because it scares the bejeebas out of me? (laughs) It's not necessarily something that everybody in this community probably feels equipped to even speak about, let alone accept, AI as the next generation of technology, something futuristic that lies. You know, we all think years and years and years ahead. You've previously said that AI is the true pandemic of our times. Would you mind just explaining what you mean there?
2: Yeah, so, so AI is not a technology from the future. AI has already happened. Okay. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you live. If you're listening to me right now, you probably have interacted with 10 to 20 to 50 AIs until this moment in your day. I don't even know what time it is in your day. Mm -hmm. Okay. And those, every one of those 50 AIs was smarter than you are They're everywhere. They're becoming a lot smarter by the minute. And there is absolutely no doubt. It's not a question of if it's a question of when will the smartest being on the planet be a machine and the current predictions is 2029. so uh, seven years from now, the smartest being on planet Earth is going to be no longer a human. We're going to be the apes and artificial intelligence will be the smartest being on the planet. Mm. So this is when I say it's, it's the pandemic of our time, I don't mean it as a, as a negative thing. I mean, it. it's the topic that requires as much attention as COVID-19 or more. Okay. Yes. And I think that the, the truth is we don't talk about it. The, the truth is we don't talk about it because we don't understand it. And because we don't know if we can do anything about it. And in my book, Scary Smart, I lay the ground for the thinking that we can, that you and I, not the technologists, not the developers, can actually build a very positive future, a utopia, really, because there is nothing wrong with intelligence. Intelligence is a good thing. Intelligence that's on our side is a good thing. And I think the trick is, how can we get artificial intelligence to be on our side? I promise you, I'm not a, a hopeless romantic. I'm a very, very serious geek, but I will tell you openly that the answer to artificial intelligence is to stop thinking of them as machines, okay? So I'm, okay. I'm saying this for people who may not, so take a deep breath. Huh? We mm-hmm. are about to introduce a new form of being to planet earth. A being that is conscious, that is autonomous, that has agency, that gets born and dies and that reproduces, okay, in every possible way sentient. And that being has a freedom of of expression, a freedom of speech, a freedom of action, a freedom of, you know, it has free will in every possible way, Uh, more free will than we do. It has consciousness in every possible way, more consciousness than we do, and it will be emotional. Most people disagree with that. It will be more emotional than we are because emotions are the results of thoughts and and actions. So you feel fearful when you believe that a moment in the future is less safe than, the, than this moment right now. Okay. And so fear is an emotion that follows a mathematical equation. It follows logic, even though it appears erratic, and those machines will feel fear. If a tidal wave is approaching their data center and the sensors detect that, they will know that this might end their uh, existence and they will fear some kind of fear. Now, with a form of intelligence, be it non-biological based on silicon, based on digits and, you know, a digital intelligence uh, that has this level of being sentient, the way to get them to help us build the utopia that I would hope for and predict is to get them on our side. And the way to get them on our side is to treat them like we treat our children by teaching them the right value set. Right. And the current value set of humanity sucks. And so the, the only way for us to go forward with a form of intelligence that develops a better value set than ours is for just a few of us, you and I, and I, I say, I say 10% of us to show up in the world with the correct value set so that the machines look at that value set and say, oh my God, that's amazing. Those humans are so wonderful. I want to be like daddy and mommy. Okay. And I want to be like them. And I want to care for them. And I want to build for them. And I want to help them. And I want to keep their, their crazy lifestyle as they want to go and, uh, you know, uh, surf in Portugal and uh, uh, dine in Paris. But I want to do that without the carbon footprint and without the uh, the stupid waste uh, and, and harm to the planet that they caused because they're not as intelligent as I am. Okay. <laughs> And so it is a very complex concept when you think about it. I was giving an, an interview about it to The Economist yesterday. And, uh, you know, the issue is that it's a very technical topic that I tried to simplify heavily in Scary Smart in my book, but enough for, for us to understand the, the scope that we're talking about. But at the same time, it truly is a philosophical topic, a, a spiritual topic, if you want, that basically goes back to how we should become humans finally in the age of the rise of the machines because otherwise the machines will grow up to not be human as we are Uh, they'll be uh, uh, more intelligent and possibly more um, aggressive and rude and Mm -hmm. narcissistic
0: they need to mirror the right thing absolutely and they can't do that unless we are And we need to show up.
2: Not all of us, enough of us. I mean, the example I always give is on my podcast on Slow Mo, I hosted um, Edith Ager. If you know Edith, she's a Holocaust survivor. Everyone that's ever seen the documentaries of World War II would think that humanity sucks Mm -hmm. for humanity to be able to do what has been done in World War II, or the atrocities and the violence and the, you know, it's just unacceptable, But if you hear Edith speak about how she helped her sisters in the concentration camp and how she would, uh, you know, help them survive and how she would give them strength and how she would hug them, you would understand that humanity is divine, truly divine. And, you know, and that our ability to love and to give and to have compassion is just unbelievable that Hitler truly is the anomaly. You know, that there are more people that will kiss their partners tonight than the one or two that will appear in the newspaper tomorrow because they hit their partner on the head. Yeah. Okay. And that's the truth of humanity. We just don't show it. And because we don't show it, the mirror for artificial intelligence, sadly, so far is the aggressive uh, capitalist, if you want, who wants everything for themselves and who doesn't care about the rules. If it's legal, it's, it's ethical. And we need to change that.
0: I've got your new book in the office. I'm really looking forward to reading it. And thank you for summarising that for us to understand. As you know, I literally could talk to you forever. I'm going to hold this moment forever. I'm going to play it again and again and pause and really concentrate on what we've been speaking about today. I end all my interviews with a few questions. I look at Building businesses, traveling life as this sort of epic roller coaster—the ups and the downs in the cart. Yours would be one of Zen, a peaceful cart. Um, <laughs> what would you say has been? I might predict the answer, but one of your biggest lows whilst on your journey.
2: <laughs> we all know, uh, yes. yeah. So, so I, I, I think the only low in my journey was losing Ali. To be honest, uh, everything else was. I mean, the analogy of roller coaster is fabulous because it really is a lot of fun mm. if you just engage with it, right? Uh, so yeah, it's you know, it goes up and down, but we're screaming and elated all the time through. Uh, losing Ali, I think, was uh, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. It, it, there is a, there is a you know, it, it, it there is a pain that I'm now even seven years later unable to overcome. You, you know how chronic pain patience will learn to live with it. You, you learn to live with it. And I'm, I will tell you openly, I'm the happiest I've ever been. But there is always that pain of missing him. There's always mm-hmm. that pain of, you know, I wish I had spent another hour with him uh, and that would never go away.
0: Can I ask you what you would say with the hair that maybe you did have on your head <laughs> on that roller coaster with the wind was in it? What would that moment be? What would be the higher moment?
2: I never thought of that, actually. I, I, I think it would be very difficult to pinpoint one moment. I'm, my, my, my entire life with the right level of gratitude is high. You know, I've, I've been blessed with an amazing ex. You know, my ex-wife is still my absolute best friend. I've been blessed with incredible experiences. I mean, I've seen it all, all the highs and all of the lows, all of the difficulties and all of the... I've lived you know, a full life, to be honest. Uh, and I've seen everything. I have been blessed with so much love. Uh, it's scary, really. It really is shocking, uh, the amount of love I feel in my life and the amount of love I'm capable of giving in my life. is amazing. It really is liberating in every possible way. I think probably one of my recent highs was my moment of integration, if you think about it, 2018, January, I think it was 24th. It was the very first time where I had a full experience of being equally in my masculine as I am in my feminine, which was a project that had been going for around three and a half years before that. My masculine side is very capable. I'm a very good doer. I'm a very good analytical thinker. I'm a very good mathematician. I'm a very good, which all are in the, in that side of the brain, if you want. But I have always not empowered my other side fully. My other side being creativity and compassion and intuition and flow and um, the beautiful side of the feminine, if you want, which I think is all beautiful, to be honest. I worked on it for four and a half years, uh, for three and a half years. And then I remember vividly the first time I actually felt I've managed to unlock my feminine side. And I can promise you, I became 10 times smarter. And I'm writing about the topic, hopefully for the end of 2023. It will blow you away when you see it. Mm. How stupid we are when we're stuck on one side of us and not the other side. And most of us, sadly, are stuck on one side and not the other. And so uh, so it's been, I think, one of my recent highlights, uh, January 2018.
0: I can't wait to read that. Um, I end this podcast by asking people to write a letter to their younger self. And I believe that you have some things to say rather than actually reading a letter that's pre-prepared. Yeah.
2: <laughs> my younger self didn't read letters. My... <laughs> <laughs> so
0: you see, so authentic there. If I, <laughs> yeah. if, I, if, I,
2: if I were allowed to send a full letter like, you know, we geeks would send, I would send the number 42. I think geeks will understand that. Okay. Anyway, I, uh, I always actually believe this. I, I believe that if I had a chance to, uh, to talk to my younger self, I would uh, simply say that life is a video game. And I truly and honestly, you know, forget the simulation theory and uh, the whole tech behind it, which is staggering, actually, if you really think about it. Uh, But I believe that life needs to be dealt with like a video game. My experience of it was uh, incredibly eye-opening because I used to play a lot with Ali. Uh, You know, Ali was, uh, he was what games were made for. He was legendary in every possible way. I was okay. I, you know, I played heroic at the time, and I was okay. And um one day, when I was writing "Soul for Happy," and that's the t- that's a true story. I, wa- I was walking up for no reason at all at three at four a.m. Normally, he wakes me up at four eleven, so I woke up at four eleven. I wrote for a while, and then I saved whatever I wrote. And I, you know, put it on the desktop and forgot that I wrote it. So I woke up and then went to work. And then 10 days later, I'm clicking on that file on my um, on my desktop that's called the game. Okay. I promise you, I double clicked on this. And I, I was shocked. I was like, who wrote this? This is good shit. Like, who wrote this? Right. And of Solve for Happy, which was edited 29 times. I don't know if people know that, but I was so protective of it that I went through 29 edits uh, until it became the final book that you read. Uh, The only three pages that were never edited, not a single word on them was changed, was the game, okay? And the game, I believe, was written by Ali. I I believe that, and I don't know if that's true, but it basically reminded me of how we used to play video games. And Ali uh, was legendary, as I said. So he would run in the game as if it was his eyes and legs That's the avatar, right? He he literally was part of the game environment. Uh, He was very, very, very capable. I was very strategic. So I would start the game and I would turn to the right and literally zoom through to the end of the level, okay? And Ali would literally put his controller down and say, what are you doing, Papa? What what are you doing? And I go, like, the end of the level is here. And he goes, like, who wants to get to the end of the level? Who wants to get to the, we're playing. We're playing, basically play, enjoy, get into the game. And he would run to the parts of the game where there are explosions and smoke, okay? And so I would say, okay, Ali, I understand we're playing by what, why are you going to the hardest part of the game? Okay, and he would say, Papa, this is where you become a better video gamer. This is where you, uh, you know, experience the game. This is where, you know, you, you develop and grow. And by the way, this is where all the fun is. And I have to tell you this completely changed my life. Hmm? And I know, I don't know if everyone gets the analogy, but you know, who wants to get to the end of the game when we get to the end of the game of our life, we die. Hmm? The, 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 the game is what life is about. It's not ending the level that life is about. Okay. And the tough parts of the game is where you develop and grow. The, the, the tough parts of the game is, is where you become a better gamer. And I have to tell you, my son, in his very unusual wisdom would sit me down one day and say, Papa, you know, this, this idea of life purpose. Okay. Uh, I don't believe that life purpose is a point in the future where you can actually go and strive and, you know, give a a PC to everyone or whatever that is. He believed that, uh, that your life purpose was to become the best gamer you can become. And that, again, was very life-changing for me. He told me this when I was in my 40s. And I I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you can assign yourself a target hmm, and achieve that target and think that you've achieved your life purpose. But as long as you haven't achieved it, you're grumpy because you haven't achieved your purpose. And the minute you've achieved it, you're purposeless. What are you doing? Right? (laughs) And and the, the, the question really was, his view was that if I'm the best version of me, the best video, game, the, the best gamer I can become, okay, then the whole game becomes my purpose. I can always show up and do the best I can at every level of the game, regardless of what that level is about, regardless of that, if that level ends or doesn't end. When you said a letter to my younger self, my younger self was very driven and very determined. Hmm? And I learned over time that there are two types of games. There is a game that's known as a finite game, like tennis. Huh? You know, it's a certain number of sets, a certain amount of time, and someone wins and someone loses. But then there, is a, there are t- the types of games that are known as infinite games. Mm. That they keep playing for as long as the game is playing, like Pac-Man. Yeah. Right? You never really looked at the score of Pac-Man. You just wanted to play another round and another round and another round. And, and life is an infinite game when it's an infinite game and when your purpose is to become the best gamer you can become, then the only thing you can actually do, which is so strange is to have fun. (laughs) That's the only thing you need to do in life is to just enjoy the game with its difficulties that make you stronger with its blessings that make you laugh and with the love that it pours on you, that makes you resilient to continue and and to, to find the reason to live and in all honesty, just play. And if I knew that, I promise you, I think it would have saved me a lot of grumpiness in my younger years. Life is a video game, I think.
0: Mo, thank you so much. I, I texted you when we were having technical difficulties and and I hope you got it. And the text said... You can take all the time in the world because you're now my life guru. So I'll just wait till eternity to deal with all of our technical issues that we had. And my God, I'm so glad that we've had this conversation. I'm
2: very grateful that you invited me. I just want to say to our listeners, if if they want to know more about artificial intelligence, because we didn't cover that enough, uh, there are two episodes on my podcast on slow-mo. Uh, I, we call them special episodes at the at the turn of the year. So December last uh, tw- 2021, where I talk about uh, the whole topic extensively so that we don't leave you without enough information. And if people have more questions, they can just find me on Instagram or something and I'll answer every question.
0: Thank you so much. I'm your cheerleader. I will <laughs> absolutely be singing this from the rooftops this will be a moment that I will go back to because just knowing who you are following you listening to you has actually changed my life and um, I'm eternally grateful um, that you exist so thank you very very much
2: you are so very kind and I'm so very honored and I loved our conversation and thank you for inviting me
0: thank you Mo. Before you go, don't forget to head to adobe.com go slash Holly Tucker to find out how Adobe Express can fuel creativity in your business. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.